0: Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm Will Oremus.
1: And I am April Glazer.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We're recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, June 19th.
1: On today's show, we'll talk about the troubling story that's on everyone's minds this week, the Trump administration's policy of separating immigrant families crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Since this is a tech show, we'll focus on how tech's big players, some of the most powerful companies in the world, are responding to the policy. We'll discuss what we should expect from those companies and their leaders in the face of a humanitarian emergency.
0: We'll also discuss the fallout from AT&T's merger with Time Warner. Disney and now Comcast both want to buy Rupert Murdoch's 21st Century Fox. And as always, we'll end with Don't Close My Tabs, some of our favorite things online this week. Hey, Will. Hi, April. How are you doing?
1: Okay. As okay as one can be. How are you doing, Will?
0: Yeah, just trying to keep up with a, a fast-moving Newsweek. Um, and first, before we get into everything that's been happening, we wanted to say thanks again to everybody who's been writing in to the show. We're actually planning a mailbag episode this summer, so please keep those questions and comments coming, and if we don't get to them right away, we probably will pretty soon. Um, So write us at ifthenatslate.com, and uh, we'll look forward to discussing your questions and comments on the air at some point soon.
1: Okay, well, so you have some reporting you wanted to talk about with regard to how the technology industry, the most powerful industry in the world, uh, is responding to uh, all of the immigration news about family separation at the border.
0: Yeah, that's right. And this isn't primarily a tech story. It's primarily a human story and a political story. But it is a tech story in some real and important ways. Um, and uh, one of those is that a lot of the biggest tech companies are involved in one way or another in face recognition, in surveillance, in some of the tools that are used in immigration policy in various ways to track people at the border and within the country. But there's also just the issue of how the tech companies are responding to the crisis as it unfolds. Um, you know, The country is talking about what's going on at the border with children being separated from their families. People are asking the tech companies to take a stand. They're scrutinizing what tech companies have said along these lines. One of the first controversies to bubble up was, um, uh, something that Microsoft said earlier this year when it said that it was proud to support ICE uh, immigration and customs enforcement with its technologies with its uh, I believe this Azure cloud services, and then that language disappeared at some point from its statement, and then Microsoft reinstated the language, saying they were proud to work with ICE, but then saying that they were dismayed by the policy of family separation. April, what did you make of all that waffling by Microsoft on
1: this? I think Microsoft is trying to not look bad in the news. (laughs) That's what I make of it. You know, this is a major news story, and they provide technology services for ICE and the Pentagon, and they have uh, described as much and bragged about as much in their blog posts, you know, from their corporate blog. So, you know, and stuff surfaces about the corporations that are not only in cahoots but are making this happen in some way even if not directly the family separation portion, but, you know, helping uh, an agency that whose, like, legitimacy has really been thrown into question under the Trump administration, even though it's been thrown into question under previous administrations too, then, you know, of course they're, they're going to try to, you know, save face a little bit right now. Um, and they're being called out for doing exactly what they're doing, which is collaborating with, you know, immigration. So...
0: Yeah, this is something we've talked a little bit about on the show. When, when Google employees sort of revolted against Google's Project Maven contract with the with the Pentagon and Google actually ended up pulling out of it under internal pressure from its own workers. Now we're seeing some reports that Microsoft employees are trying to do the same thing there and trying to pressure Microsoft leadership to pull back from its relationship with uh, with ICE. Um, but it's it's kind of a pivotal moment I think for Microsoft because you know it it has it can either go the way of Google and try to be this somewhat more idealistic Silicon Valley type type company or or it can hew to its its longtime roots as a company that does lots of business with the uh, with the defense industrial complex.
1: Yeah, you know, and if Microsoft wants to pull out, it certainly can. They make a lot of money elsewhere. I don't think that this is going to necessarily make or break them as a company. And so they have a decision to make whether or not they're going to be doing business with the military or with any militaries around the world, not just the U.S. military, uh, and whether they're going to be doing business with Customs and Border Control and ICE or not. And uh, and it's an ideological decision, and it's one that their employees are kind of forcing them to make. So, uh, and not just their employees, but, but the public as they receive scrutiny for their collaboration here.
0: That's right. And, and, you know, it's interesting to me that the public now looks to the big tech companies. Maybe, I, I don't know if it's partly because Silicon Valley tech companies Tried to set out this this idealistic image for themselves as as do gooders in the world. You know that Google with its "Don't be evil" motto. Um, you know maybe it's because tech companies have a history of taking stands on some issues. Um, we've seen them come out for for gay rights in the past. We've seen tech companies come out against Trump's travel ban early on in the Trump administration. Or maybe it's just because these are among the most powerful and influential companies in the world, and, and people want to pressure them to take a stand. And some of them are. Some of them are, are happily doing that. So we saw. Uh, Um, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian called the family separation policy, quote, reprehensible. I
1: mean, Reddit doesn't have a contract with (laughs) ICE, so it's a little different, but yeah.
0: Right, right. So it's easier for for them to say, certainly. Um, Airbnb and Yelp's leaders have also come out uh, criticizing the Trump administration's enforcement of the policy, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff. Um, one I thought was interesting was Elon Musk, who's like almost become a full time Twitter personality lately. In addition to his jobs leading Tesla Seven and other full time jobs, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and SpaceX and the Boring Company, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he uh, brought it on himself. He he tweeted a song by the double X called Shelter and then followed up saying, I hope the kids are okay, which seemed to be a cryptic reference to the children separated from their families at the border. And then people were asking, you know, well, what are you going to do about it? I mean, are you just going to hope they're okay? Or as a powerful billionaire, are you going to try to take some action um, and they tried to get him to commit to marching. And he asked when and where they're marching, but hasn't said anything further along those lines yet.
1: You know, these people like Elon Musk have a lot of money. And I know that a lot of the organizations that are doing grassroots work at the border are trying to reunite families, trying to give people the legal aid that they need, trying to uh, make sure that youth are not being uh, abused and that, you know, individuals are are getting some form of justice are grassroots and do not have a lot of money and are made up of people who are making way less money than Elon Musk every year and could probably, uh, you know, use to hire more people. <laughs> you know, I, I hope that he uh, is supportive of these organizations that are uh, that are doing the work to try to help. That's something more that he could do for sure.
0: Yeah. And Musk did point. He might out be. Of- I don't know. Yeah, he said he's one of the top donors to the ACLU, right. um, so that's certainly a major a major contribution. Um, but w- so one question that this leaves me with then is, what should we expect of tech companies or the CEOs of tech companies when we have a sort of political or humanitarian crisis like this? I mean, should the CEO of Apple be weighing in on Trump's border policies? Should the CEO of Facebook be weighing in? Should they be criticized for not weighing in? Uh, you know do they I don't know is it giving them a, a sort of moral leadership in the country uh, that maybe is not relevant to what they're supposed to be doing in terms of their their jobs or their companies
1: these aren't just tech companies these are the most powerful companies in the world um they benefit a lot from us tax breaks <laughs> they they benefit a lot from uh, All kinds of US policies and US people who work at them and invent at them and who buy their products. Um, And we did see tech companies rush to oppose the travel ban because that did affect uh, their employees and affected their ability to bring in high skilled tech workers. And, you know, we saw. Uh, Bryn from Google go to the airport to protest. We saw amicus briefs signed by tech companies, you know, opposing this, you know, very, very quickly, including Amazon and Apple. And so, you know, if they're going to be consistent with their opposition of unjust immigration policies, then I would hope they would be as quick to respond and as passionate to respond, even when it doesn't necessarily affect their bottom line as immediately. It's their Call, but I mean, it makes sense that they would oppose something that hurts their pocketbooks. I would hope they would oppose something because it's wrong as well. um Again, these are not just tech companies. I think that's the wrong frame. These are titans of American industry, so you know they have a lot of political power too. What are your thoughts on that, though, Will?
0: No, that's a great point. I'm I'm honestly conflicted on it. I mean, you know, as as I would like to see some of these people just as human beings stand up and say something when they're in a position of power and a position of influence. Um, that said, I, I I guess I get a little nervous when we pillory companies for not weighing in on an issue that's not necessarily their business to weigh in on. I worry it could you know backfire in other circumstances.
1: How would it backfire? Like people who are pro-family separation will stop buying Apple products? Like... <laughs> like what's no. how would it backfire?
0: No, I I meant I meant more like selfishly with my own political values like I could imagine tech companies strongly disagreeing with me on on uh, certain political issues and and I wouldn't not necessarily want them to weigh in on those issues and throw their weight around um So uh, I guess that's all I meant. I mean, in in this case, I mean, I think there's an assumption that the big Silicon Valley companies values on immigration are generally lean toward openness and against uh, crackdowns and against family separation. But, you know, maybe that's I don't know, that's a that's a coincidence. Immigration, they tend to be more liberal. um, And I happen to agree with them on that.
1: You know, corporations benefit a lot from various policy decisions that uh that come through the US uh you know, regulatory and lawmaking machine and they spend more money than anyone else, particularly Alphabet I'm thinking of Google's parent company and and Facebook and Amazon and what have you uh when it comes to lobbying the US government for policies that suit them. Uh I don't think there's anything wrong with people hoping that they would um, be willing to throw their weight around for policies that you know suit humanity or justice um, as well
0: right and of course there are as we, as we briefly mentioned on last week's show there are a, a few uh, silicon valley uh, titans who are clearly voting with their feet in favor of trump's immigration policies like palmer lucky who's trying to help set up a virtual border wall or the folks who run palantir that does that you know, specializes in surveillance and and data collection and data analysis uh, and for, clear, for defense all, contracts.
1: Both of those pivot around one Peter Thiel. So.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, uh, a, so definitely a pole of power and influence in, in Silicon Valley. Definitely. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more news from a busy news week. All right, but now let's pivot to a different piece of tech and business news, this one involving the merger between AT&T and Time Warner. There was a big development on that front last week. April, can you bring us up to speed on what happened and what it means?
1: Yeah, basically a judge ruled that AT&T, which is one of the largest mobile and Phone and broadband internet providers in the country, actually the largest telecom company in the world, um, should be allowed to complete its purchase of the entertainment giant Time Warner, which owns HBO, CNN, and the Warner Brothers uh, film company. And the Department of Justice, which sued to potentially stop the merger um, under the claim that uh, such a merger would create a conglomerate that would harm competition, um, further decided it wouldn't appeal the judge's decision on that. Um, then the next day, uh, on June 13th, uh, Comcast, the largest broadband and cable provider in the U.S. at least, which also owns NBC Universal, announced that it wants to buy part of 21st Century Fox, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, for a fresh $65 billion. Um, this bid should be seen as a challenge, though, because Fox had already agreed to sell to Disney for $52 billion earlier this year. And Fox shareholders actually had a vote scheduled on that decision next month, I believe, July 10th. So the fact that AT&T and Time Warner will be allowed to merge could mean that a deal between Fox and Disney or Fox and Comcast now uh, is less likely to be challenged by the Department of Justice. It certainly sets a precedent for a friendly environment for large media mergers.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, there there was a, a lot of both excitement and consternation in the antitrust community when it first came out that the that the Trump administration was going to oppose the AT&T Time Warner merger. On the one hand, it seemed to fit with with Trump's populist image as uh, opposing, you know, being against big business getting too big and ripping off consumers, or that sort of thing. On the other hand, there was also some suggestion that Trump just had a grudge against CNN because he he well, calls news. Well, he does have a news. grudge against
1: CNN, right? And assumption. All
0: right, that part is not a suggestion, but yeah. the, the suggestion was that, yeah. that this grudge had led him to either order or or sort of pass down the word, or let it right. be known uh, that that he would like to see that merger opposed. And so now we get to see, now that they they did oppose it and they got rebuked by the court and the merger has gone through, now we get to see how serious the administration was about up- applying Uh, antitrust uh, law uh, more broadly in other contexts. And I I guess what you're saying is corporations think, hey, this is the moment, this is our ripe opportunity to jump in and do those huge mega mergers now, right after the court has just allowed AT&T Time Warner to go through
1: Right. Um, you know, Judge Richard Leon, the district court judge in DC that, that ruled on this case. And by the way, this was, um, I believe it's called a bench ruling. There was no jury there. He never made the argument that, um, t is going to use its, its, you know, hefty network power to prioritize HBO. Um, or other like CNN or any type of content like that. Um, or not he never, but rather the government never made that argument. Like my point is that the government didn't make strong arguments in this case, as some observers have noted. And so uh, many people wonder, you know, how hard the DOJ was actually fighting this, and then the fact that they're not going to appeal now, uh, something that you know could could you know pretty easily be argued that it's not good for consumers um you know wasn't really argued strongly on the government's part so uh so I, for, as for what it means for future mergers um you know the fact that they didn't fight this in you know wholeheartedly necessarily or or they didn't put up strong arguments against it and the fact that they're not going to appeal um i think it's a kind of a red carpet
0: yeah I, i'm interested not just in the these mergers in the media Uh, and telecom industry, which are are huge and fascinating in their own right. But I'm also interested always in what this says for the application of antitrust law to the big tech companies. And one of the things that came up, I believe, in the court's ruling on AT&T Time Warner was, uh, again and again, was the fact that these companies are now competing with the likes of Google and uh, and for advertising. And Google is so huge that it made the court, uh, it made it harder for the court to see how this is a monopoly when you have a rival as big as Google in, in this space.
1: Yeah, but Google doesn't own the pipes that it sends stuff, that it's like, that, that it sends its stuff to people to right? And so like, you know, AT&T will now own the pipes and the content that travels over that those pipes uh, in a greater volume, and so it's a very different um, construction than uh, than than the way Google's power is, is is necessarily handled, and and with app you know apps and network neutrality rules. You know, we could see companies like Comcast and Google as they, as they, I'm not Google, but Comcast and AT&T as they work to, to hold more of the content industry, uh, you know, in their, in their hands, work to prioritize that in a way that Google and Facebook physically are not able to do. That said, Google is definitely in the business of prioritizing content that uh, it likes when it comes to, like, how it's presented on the Internet. So the Google AMP pages um, get higher ranking in Google's search. Like, if it's if the website kind of makes itself, uh, you know, uh, work better with, with Google's products, then it gets a higher ranking. Um, you know, Facebook also has different ways that people have worked to game to uh to control how they their content has traveled over its I don't want to say pipes but over its network i would just say that still we're not talking about your physical connection to the internet and it's a very different relationship
0: Something else that happened recently that I think is relevant to this whole discussion was there was a speech in Washington by Justice Department Antitrust Chief Makan Del Rahim. Uh, he has kind of hinted in the past that he's trying to work out what his stance might be on the idea that something like Google or Facebook could constitute a monopoly uh, that because it's bad for democracy or bad for the flow of information. He has now seemed to take a firmer stand that he's not going to apply yeah. that sort of new scrutiny to the tech company he's going to keep looking at the question of, does it harm consumer welfare? Do prices go up for consumers? And he's not going to take the stand that a lot of people have been encouraging, which is, does, does Google's monopoly over search harm uh, democracy? Or, or you know, do they have a monopoly over things that, that have no price on them, like data?
1: I hate the term consumer welfare, <laughs> because uh, you know, what we're talking about when we say consumer welfare is actually uh, prices, Right. That's what they mean? Yeah. Um, I think not he, was, talking, yeah,
0: he was making clear that he's not going to take a broader interpretation where we're looking at, like, consumers' privacy or consumers' well-being or their ability yeah, to participate in a, in a democratic the, election.
1: Having the information that they need in order to vote in a meaningful way, right? Like, like it's very, very important that our uh, information ecosystem serves the needs of the public um, so that we can challenge policies that – You know, people may oppose like the like the family separation policy that's being enacted at the border right now. You know, if we we, when we have monopolies over information, then often only certain viewpoints uh, get through. And, you know, you think you're changing the channel or going to a different website, but it's actually all owned by the same company. And uh And that's why having a plurality in the media space, in the media market, is just critically important for people's kind of information health.
0: One note to our listeners before we take a break. As you know, this show is funded in part by advertisements. Since this is a show about technology and business, and we report on a broad swath of corporations, there'll be times when a company that we've covered on If Then also advertises on the show. We want to make sure you know, as listeners, that our editorial coverage is not influenced in any way by who our advertisers are. And because of that, we won't shy away from talking about a company that's in the news, even if they're also advertising on our show that day. Our responsibilities are always to our listeners and to the truth. Our policies on this are firm, and our advertisers understand them. Thanks again so much for listening.
1: All right, time for a quick break, and then don't close my tabs.
0: Now it's time for Don't Close My Tabs, some of the most interesting stories we encountered on the internet in the past week. April, what tab could you not close this week?
1: So I read this story that came out uh, earlier this week. The government has no plan for reuniting the immigrant families. It is tearing apart. It's a story in The New Yorker on their website by Jonathan Blitzer. And basically, it is a Kind of a a brief telling of the difficulty that a nonprofit has had uh, with trying to reunite a father with a daughter who uh, who's held in uh, one of the shelter detention centers, and you know how they're not really keeping track of the families they're tearing apart, like how they 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 assign a number to people, and then if you don't have that number. Or if it's off in some way or you don't know the exact birth date of someone or where they are, it's just incredibly hard to, to, to find your family. And the thing is, is that a lot of the minors who do cross the border, uh, whether they're accompanied with their family or not, and they get you know separated, maybe so like it's harder for them to get uh, to, to find their families in the future. Or if they actually come unaccompanied, they're often coming because they have family in the United States. Will, uh, you know, you had a story that you wanted to share that was uh, about another topic, though. What, uh, what tab could you not close this week?
0: All right. I have a slight piece of good news in an otherwise grim news week. The news is that Verizon, the largest wireless carrier uh, in the United States, will stop its practice of selling users' real-time location data to third-party brokers. This was reported by the Associated Press. And this is a story that we've talked about on the show where your wireless carrier, in all likelihood, uh, if, especially if you live in the United States, is working with third-party contractors that you've probably never heard of, providing them information on where you are at all times. Uh, this is supposed to be used for specific purposes, like a, a prison being able to keep track of whether its inmates are using their, their phones or where they are or that sort of thing. Uh, there are already some cases in which it has been used improperly. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon has been uh, out in front on this issue, pressing the big carriers to say that they will stop doing this. Two or three weeks later, finally, Verizon is the the first one to step up and say, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, I guess my hope personally would be that the other major carriers uh, will follow in Verizon's lead.
1: Interesting, um what are some of the ways I'm um, just briefly that uh, that people or that companies have used this data improperly?
0: The most notable one was when a sheriff in Missouri was charged with using one of these services to look up the whereabouts at any given time of people who were not inmates uh, he was just looking up where his colleagues were, Dude. where his <laughs> friend were. Um, and the, the fact that it could be used in this way or be abused in this way finally shone a light on a practice that has been long-standing in the wireless industry where uh, location data is, is kind of handed around among various companies that provide specific services involving that location data.
1: And this is a lesson in if it is possible, it is probably happening. Uh, brought to you That's by right. If Then at the end of our show. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. You can get updates about what's coming up next by following us on Twitter at IfThenPod.
0: You can also email us at ifthen at slate.com. Send us your tech questions, show or guest suggestions, or just say hi.
1: You can follow me and Will on Twitter as well. I'm at April Laser, and Will is at Will Oremus.
0: And if you'd leave us a comment and review on iTunes, we would be forever grateful really helps boost our show. It's actually one of the ways that people can find out about our show, is the more reviews we get, the more comments we get, the more likely it is people will actually be able to find us. Also, I should say this week that that goes for Google's new platform as well. Google has finally launched its own podcast platform called Google Podcasts. Nice Get in on the name. ground floor and be the, the first to give us a glowing review on there, and we would be very grateful to you.
1: Keypod. No, that's not what they called it. Um, <laughs> and uh, this, as always, has been a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Our producer is Max Jacobs.
0: Thanks to Don Aulis at A Room with a VU in Santa Barbara.
1: And big thanks to Robert Kirby at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. We'll see you all next week.